This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of genuvalgum, or knocked knees, from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Genuvalgum is a normal physiologic process in children. Therefore, it's critical to differentiate between a physiologic and pathologic process. As far as the epidemiology of genuvalgum, the distal femur is the most common location of primary pathologic genuvalgum, but can arise from the tibia. The etiologies of genuvalgum can be bilateral genuvalgum or unilateral genuvalgum. Bilateral genuvalgum can be physiologic, from renal osteodystrophy secondary to renal rickets, or skeletal dysplasias, which can include conditions like Morchio syndrome, spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia, and chondroectodermal dysplasia. Unilateral genuvalgum can be from physeal injury from trauma, infection, or vascular insult, proximal metaphyseal tibial fracture, or benign tumors such as fibrous dysplasia, osteochondromas, or Allier's disease. As far as the prognosis of genuvalgum, the threshold of deformity that leads to future degenerative changes is unknown. Deformity after a proximal metaphyseal tibia fracture, otherwise known as the Cozen's phenomenon, should be observed as it almost always remodels. Now let's go over some relevant anatomy. As far as the normal physiologic process of genuvalgum, between 3 to 4 years of age, children have up to 20 degrees of genuvalgum. Genuvalgum rarely worsens after age 7. After age 7, valgus should not be worse than 12 degrees of genuvalgum. After age 7, the intermalleolar distance should be less than 8 centimeters. As far as the treatment of genuvalgum, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management can include observation or bracing. Observation is indicated as the first line of treatment, and it's also indicated for genuvalgum less than 15 degrees in a child less than 6 years of age. Bracing is rarely used, and it's ineffective in pathologic genuvalgum and unnecessary in physiologic genuvalgum. Operative options include hemiepiphysiodesis or physeal tethering with screws, staples, or a plate slash screws of the medial side. Other options include a distal femoral varus osteotomy. A hemiepiphysiodesis or physeal tethering of the medial side is indicated for greater than 15 to 20 degrees of valgus in a patient less than 10 years of age. It's also indicated if the line drawn from the center of the femoral head to the center of the ankle falls in the lateral quadrant of the tibial plateau in a patient greater than 10 years of age. To avoid physeal injury, place the staples, screws, or plate-slash-screws extraperiosteally. To avoid overcorrection, follow the patients often, and keep in mind that growth begins within 24 months after removal of the tether. A distal femoral varus osteotomy is indicated when there's insufficient remaining growth for hemiepiphysiodesis. Complications can include a perineal nerve injury, and to avoid this, you can consider performing a perineal nerve release prior to surgery, gradually correcting the deformity, and or utilizing a closing wedge technique. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads... A 12-year-old skeletally immature female presents with a several-year history of bilateral knee pain and lower extremity deformity with her knees rubbing together while she runs. Her medical history is positive for asthma and eczema. She denies constitutional symptoms. She is neurovascularly intact in the bilateral lower extremities. A radiograph demonstrates bilateral genuvalgum in a skeletally immature individual with an anatomic lateral distal femoral angle of 80 degrees. Which of the following treatment options is most appropriate? And the choices are 1. Hip, knee, ankle, foot, orthotic, or HKFO. 
2. Distal femoral osteotomy with plate fixation of bilateral distal femurs. 3. Temporary hemiepiphysiodesis across the bilateral medial distal femoral growth plates. 4. Temporary hemiepiphysiodesis across the right medial distal femoral growth plate. And 5. Temporary lateral hemiepiphysiodesis of the bilateral distal femoral growth plates. The correct answer to this question is 3. Temporary hemiepiphysiodesis across the bilateral medial distal femoral growth plates. So the clinical presentation is consistent with severe bilateral genuvalgum in a skeletally immature patient. Temporary hemiepiphysiodesis across the bilateral medial distal femoral growth plates is the most appropriate treatment. Temporary hemiepiphysiodesis or temporary physeal tethering using staples or tension plates can be utilized to redirect physeal growth depending on the amount of growth calculated to remain for the child. Surgical correction is warranted if a mechanical axis line drawn from the center of the head of the femur to the center of the ankle falls in at least the outer 25% of the tibial plateau in children older than 10 years old. Wyman et al. present a level 4 review of 63 patients that underwent either physeal stapling or tension 8-plate hemiepiphysiodesis. They found that the tension 8-plate is as effective as staple hemiepiphysiodesis for correction of angular deformity in terms of the rate of correction and associated complications. Stevens presents level 4 evidence of 34 patients that underwent non-locking extraperiosteal 8-plate tethering. He observed that the rate of correction was approximately 30% more rapid than noted with stapling, and that only four patients needed revision alignment surgery for rebound deformity. Schroer Luck et al. report a level 4 study of 31 patients that underwent 8-plate tethering. They found that implant failure occurred in 8 or 26% of the patients of the proximal tibia constructs. All of these failures happened in patients with Blount's disease and involved breakage of the tibial metaphyseal screw. Moving on to the next question. In which of the following patients would temporary medial tension band plating of the bilateral proximal tibial physis be most appropriate? And the choices are 1, an 11-year-old obese boy with a metaphyseal diaphyseal angle or Drennan angle of 18 degrees, 2, an 8-year-old boy with an intermalleolar distance of 12 centimeters, 3, a 4-year-old girl with genuvalgum measuring 20 degrees, 4, a 7-year-old girl with genuvalgum measuring 9 degrees, and 5, a 16-year-old girl with genuvalgum measuring 18 degrees. The correct answer to this question is 2, an 8-year-old boy with an intermalleolar distance of 12 centimeters. So out of the patient scenarios listed, a patient with widened intermalleolar distance and resulting genuvalgum would benefit most from guided growth using medial tension band plating. After age 7, the intermalleolar distance should be less than 8 centimeters and valgus alignment should be less than 12 degrees. Coronal plane angular deformity is a common reason for pediatric orthopedic consultation. Knowledge of the normal physiologic growth process is necessary to plan treatment. Treatment options include observation, bracing, and surgical intervention with guided growth or osteotomy, depending on the patient's age and extent of the deformity. The lower extremity coronal plane profile changes in a predictable pattern beginning with varus at birth until the age of 7 to 8, which is when a child is expected to achieve their adult alignment. Excessive genuvalgum can result in knee pain, difficulty running, and patellar instability. It should be noted that the adult tibiofemoral alignment lies between 4 to 7 degrees of valgus. Medial tension band plating is an example of physeal tethering, and this is an excellent option for correcting angular deformities in the skeletally immature patient. It allows for continued longitudinal growth with gradual angular correction over time. 
Saren et al. reviewed the various techniques available for pediatric lower extremity angular correction using guided growth. Techniques for physeal tethering include tension band plating, for example, an aid plate, staples, and screws. Drilling hemiepiphysiodesis is an option for correcting angular deformity by inducing a physeal bar formation, but requires a completed epiphysiodesis upon angular correction and results in a loss of longitudinal growth. Shabtai and colleagues reviewed the expanded indications for tension band plating in the correction of pediatric deformity. They report that the indications for the utilization of tension band plating have grown beyond the correction of angular deformity and discuss its limitations. Undercorrection and overcorrection are common problems with guided growth. However, careful preoperative planning and appropriate follow-up can minimize complications and allow for excellent deformity correction with minimal morbidity. And moving on to the final question. An 18-year-old girl presents with a deformity of the left leg that limits her ability to play basketball and volleyball. She reports pain along the lateral joint line with vigorous activity. Clinical observation of the left leg in the supine position demonstrates genuvalgum. A standing alignment radiograph shows a mechanical lateral distal femoral angle that measures 73 degrees. Remember that the range of a mechanical lateral distal femoral angle is between 85 to 90 degrees. The standing alignment radiograph also has a mechanical medial proximal tibial angle of 87 degrees with a range between 85 to 90 degrees and a tibial femoral angle of 25 degrees with a range of between 5 to 10 degrees. Which of the following is the most appropriate surgical treatment? And the choices are 1. Lateral closing wedge proximal femoral osteotomy with medial opening wedge tibial osteotomy. 2. Lateral closing wedge tibial osteotomy. 3. Medial opening wedge femoral osteotomy. 4. Medial closing wedge tibial osteotomy. And 5. Medial closing wedge femoral osteotomy. The correct answer to this question is 5, medial closing wedge femoral osteotomy. So genuvalgum in the skeletally mature individual is most appropriately treated with a varus-producing distal femoral osteotomy. If the deformity were to be addressed with a medial closing wedge tibial osteotomy, an oblique joint line would be maintained. Varus and valgus can be determined by measuring the lateral distal femoral angle with the normal being 88 degrees, medial proximal tibial angle with the normal being 87 degrees, or the tibiofemoral angle with the normal between 5 to 10 degrees. Tetsworth and Paley present a level 4 review of 28 limbs that underwent external fixation for deformity correction. They measured mechanical axis deviation and mechanical tibiofemoral angle pre- and post-operatively in these patients and found external fixation to be a reliable method of deformity correction. Paley presents a level 5 review discussing the spectrum of lower extremity angular and rotational deformities and their treatments. He cites that the work of Gavril Abramovich Elizarov in the field of external fixation has been instrumental in advancing the field of deformity correction, and the magnitude of the deformity is no longer an obstacle with gradual correction of bone or joint deformities. That's all for this review about genuvalgum or knock knees. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.